to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. Hello, and welcome back to the Unrepresented School Podcast. Uh, I'm Rob, if you if you have forgot me, and beside me right now, or opposite me, I think is a better way of putting it, is Nick Hocus. Where have you been, mate? Where have we been? I, after the election result, I was so awestruck that I fell into a five-month coma, and I only just woke up. Fair enough. So I haven't been doing much. Yeah. Oh, you know, we we haven't been doing anything. We just hate 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 our listeners and hate doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no. No. Well, we've been really busy, haven't we, Rob? Yeah. Well, firstly, we went away. Firstly, we had exams, and then and then we went away on a big European holiday, and then we kind of got bogged down in the mundane uh, normal activities that we pursue outside of the podcast. So for me, it was when I got back from Europe. It was like. I already have to do all this shit for life, essentially. Yeah. And I think we, multiple times we said on a, on a weekend, we'd be like, yeah, let's do the, yeah, let's bring the podcast <laughs> yeah. back. And it kind of like, when you just have like one hour of optimism and you're like, yeah, we can do this. And then, yeah, it, I don't know. And Nick, you, you're the same as me, but quickly we realized that we simply didn't have enough time within our week. And unfortunately, this is still just a hobby for us. So it was the first one to go, really. But now we're back with vengeance. We are back. I, broadly speaking, I think everyone should should take take away from this break is look after yourself and don't overcommit yourself. Don't overstretch yourself, people. Yeah, yeah, and you know, but still focus on the things that bring you j- joy in a way. Yeah, and, and that you is know the, what brings me joy. Yeah, exactly. Talking to a microphone, you know, yelling into a microphone, and just having it broadcast out there. You know, yeah, that's, that's the thing about you know, the world we live in, Rob. Our kind of modern world is that everyone can have a platform if they want. Absolutely. Is that a good thing? Probably not. Probably not. But hey, I'm going to take advantage of it. Also, on, on your point of after the the election, you fell into a coma. I feel like I almost did with the news as well. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, Albo's won. So, you know, climate change no longer exists. That's no longer an issue. Yeah, yeah. The Ukraine war kind of like got into a stalemate. And it was just on the Eastern Front for a bit there. Yeah. Obviously, now we've got some developments, which we'll obviously get into Oh, later. yes, of course, of course. Boris, there were some Boris scandals, but, you know, we don't really do... You love the UK politics. I'm, so. re- I'm really into UK politics. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of was like, I don't care anymore. I, I stopped listening to podcasts. I started listening to music. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, sometimes you got to live a little. Yeah. Because we, we went to Europe as well. We were kind of in blissful European summer. And blissful ignorance of it all, really, as well. Absolutely. And I think, I think you know, that was important for us. And another thing that I think I've noticed, and this is probably just a symptom of WA opening up, is like there's no like COVID anymore. COVID doesn't exist anymore, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's a mixture of the problem has receded and no one wants to talk about it anymore. Yeah. I saw the the full story podcast today is has the pandemic ended and I saw it immediately it was like there's no way I'm listening to that. Yeah. I don't want to hear more about covid news. So yeah, co- covid's it's I think just somewhat somewhat the optimism of Albo winning and the less, you know, cuz that was the great thing about the Scomo government is every week there was just a new 
a new scandal to just wrap your teeth around. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, so I think I think yeah, a combination of a disinterest in general politics and news, combined with extreme busyness with our personal and professional lives. Yeah, dare I say yeah, was probably the main reason for us, for me, anyways. No longer doing this for us. Oh yeah, well it's the same for me, but. You know, the I I always wanted to come back, Rob, and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna it, we are truly back with vengeance. We are truly back with a vengeance, and I I apologize to the listeners and to you, Nick, for not keeping our listeners updated on where we've been. That's yeah, that's part of the busyness. But you know, I think it's a constant state of improvement, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, you can't just do something and then expect to be amazing at it. You know? Oh uh, well, maybe you, but <laughs> no. no. <laughs> You know, I spoke at a panel event last week and yes, I know. Oh. I was on a... Can you imagine on a I, panel? I was on a panel? I was vastly the most underwhelming person on the panel, but I was still on a panel. Impressive. What was the panel about? It or was ca- about... Can't you divulge? I, I really can't say. No, <laughs> it was about social enterprises. Um, obviously, I work for Unearthed Social Enterprise and they just wanted my opinions on random shit. But it was just like... I kind of got to scratch that itch about the politics, the, the podcast, because I was just talking about like social enterprises and government um, and like how we solve like social problems, like what the kind of modern ways, to, uh, vehicles for that is. And, you know, that's something we've talked about in the podcast before. And I was just getting into it and people came after and they were like, oh, like you talked so like easily about that stuff, you know? I'm like, yeah, because I used to talk, <laughs> just talk about it every week. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, you know what? We got to, we got to bring it back. So yeah, hopefully we've explained Explain why away. we've been away. Yeah, and again we apologise for for being away. The absence, but we're back. But, but what has happened whilst we've been away, Nick? A few I think things. Obviously, we're not going to talk about you know, oh, will the Greens pass the climate bill? Like we probably would have talked about yeah. if we were making weekly podcasts. Yeah, thank God they did. Spoiler alert. Yeah, because they did. Um, so we're going to have to be a little bit more macro in our focus. Mm, mm. Well, I think we'll get, let's take a macro lens first and then we'll focus in on nice. the, the Labour government. On the issues of the day. On the issues of the day. Uh, but obviously a lot to catch up on in America, Rob. I think we missed a lot of the interesting stuff happening around Biden and the Democrats, you know, many of them disendorsing him uh, behind the scenes. So uh, things are not going well for the Biden administration and the Democrats. Trump may rerun in 2024. Which, by the way, if the 2020 election wasn't already the the least inspiring candidates of all time, yeah, running back four years later when they're both four years older, Biden's got to be turning 80 pretty soon. He'll be 80 at that election, right? Really? I don't know. Um, that I mean, that would be insane, right? I just, I, I really think the big takeaway for me is just how broken their institutions are. That like the best the Democrats could put up was Joe Biden. Um, and yeah, they're kind of self-imploding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and on the Republican side, they're further entrenching themselves in a strategy that categorically won't work and will never work. Yeah. I I agree. I I really kind of, the, the writings on the wall there. And interestingly, they're kind of, it's reminds me of our coalition party here in the, after the recent election, They've obviously decided to go somewhat towards rebuilding the party, um, but the Republicans did the exact opposite and went further towards the Trumpism, super far right wing populism. So, 
Which, things are very broken. Like, we, Trump has never won the popular vote. No, no. Uh, even when he won the, the 2016 election in a landslide, as he puts it, which is really funny because he got beaten by more, but he's like, it was so close. Oh, well, not even, he still claims he won it, actually. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just isn't a strategy that works anymore, and that seems to be a bit of a sign, hopefully, in Australia anyways. We'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, Rob, these kind of international um, themes with the kind of centre-left and centre-right parties are really interesting. I'll bring it to the UK, where our good friend Boris Johnson got the axe, I think yep. about a month ago. And after a bit of a, a hustle and bustle in the, their coalition, Liz Truss has emerged as the new Conservative Prime Minister. Um, the fourth one in like a decade or something like that. Yeah. Fourth one since brec- brex- breakfast? <laughs> since breakfast. Well, there was Cameron and then Boris Johnson, then May, then Johnson, now Truss. So fourth since 2016 because... That's when the Brexit true. vote was. Oh, God, yeah, I thought it was... T- yeah, true, hey. It's insane. No one's served a full term yet. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of chopping, ch- chopping and changing. And she's had, uh, suffice to say, not a very good first two weeks yeah. of her prime ministership. I don't know how much you know about this, Rob, but she tried to, I think, take away the top marginal tax bracket and it almost crashed the UK financial system. <laughs> yeah, so... Two things I want to say. First, I want to send off Boris as he deserves to be sent off. What what an unbelievable prime ministerial ship he's had. <laughs> that was truly remarkable that he was able to get through that many scandals before finally yeah, I know, kicking hey? the bucket. Yeah, he was... <laughs> he's still in Parliament as well. Yeah, like truly remarkable how, how he was able to <laughs> remain prime minister through... All of that. Yeah. And also his past as well. Yeah, I know. I know. He, I still think it just points to the stability that five-year election terms give you in the UK. Not even that like, you know, that you have to wait five years, but also it just gives you a sense of stability when you're a leader because, you know, you have time to kind of fix things before the next election. But it got too much, Rob. And uh, that's why he got the axe. And Liz Truss... Oh but wow. my god! So uh, she immediately came out. So this is just from like headlines I've seen. Yeah, on the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm obviously not as well versed as you, but like she immediately came out and was like, "Yeah, trickle down economics is really good." Yeah, she's which a, yeah, <laughs> legit. Like with all due respect to the um the conservatives in the UK, I know they still love Margaret Thatcher, but surely you gotta you gotta think that that boat has sailed, right? Yeah, I mean, this is nuts, Rob. Like, I, so I listened to the speech she gave at the Conservative Party conference very recently, and I was just, I was amazed. It, it was like she was speaking, you know, from like 20, a time 20 years ago because she was saying, you know, um, like all the people who, who like the reason why we've had so much, um, so many issues in this country is because of like the people that go on their talk shows on the BBC and the podcasts and the, the, and the Brexit deniers. And the answer is, like, no regulation, Brexit. And I was like, what is she on about? Yeah. Like, it just sounds like it's from the past because, I, I, as you said, surely by this point, the ship has well and truly sailed. You know, since the pandemic where it was very obvious that, uh, you know, fiscal, uh, expansionary fiscal spending was important and necessary. Yep. Um, and you know the especially in the UK, the cracks in the public service were very, very apparent for everyone to see. Amazes me she can still drone on about 
neoliberal economics. And the whole thing is all, as well in the UK is just a complete fucking lie because, you know, they pioneered Brexit, which is just the most un-neoliberal thing ever. Because yeah. neoliberalism was all about reducing trade barriers and having, you know, reducing barriers to immigration. And Absolutely. Brexit did the exact opposite. Well, that's the, that's the great thing about neoliberal ideology and uh, neoliberal conservatism, if you will, is that, yeah, it's all open and no regulation until it gets to migration or, you know, some personal freedoms like abortion, for example, in the US. But, like, it, clearly it isn't. It's an ideological chameleon, this neoliberal. Yeah, that's it's a great not, term. Oh, did you come up with that? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> Fair it's not it's not a theory it's not a catch all term of economics it's just what people use to try and sound you know clever or whatever to try and you know push their own personal agenda and their own personal policies yeah absolutely couldn't agree more and i think it's now a challenge and you're seeing this internationally to the traditional left right uh party system because neoliberal economics says you know uh very little government regulation yada 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 but a lot of these conservative social issues or policies are all about reducing immigration um, and things like that. So there's a clear, clear, clear tension there. And to try and um, sell to your base if you're a centre-right party, you need to be able to appeal to those conservative social issues. Um, but also you have this base, which is you know, a very like free market, um, wealthy kind of base. Yep. To marry those two people. Then the other side, you have obviously the centre-left parties who are going after their traditional working class base, but also now progressive professionals. So the demographic demographic shift uh, for the support base of the parties is is very significant. It's absolutely changing, yeah, for and sure. And it's really difficult for parties. I mean, you look at our election this year, I think your know, teals can be explained by that. Well, yeah, this potentially might be only an Anglo thing because... Uh, Continental Europe not only is different, very different, uh, different culturally, but also different in terms of their electoral systems they run. Uh, yeah, and there's just a huge legacy of, of a, a different relationship between capital and labor yeah. in those countries. Absolutely, but yeah, it's just um, absolutely shocking how the neoliberalism and this neoliberal uh, agenda that has been overwhelmingly adopted by conservatives just isn't true. Clearly, yeah, you know if. I'm happy for neoliberalism as long as we don't subsidize, you know, fossil fuel industry, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's it. let's yeah. be neoliberal. <laughs> I guarantee the fucking clean uh, electricity market would work better. <laughs> you know, let's be neoliberal on that. Yeah, but no. Yeah. Well, it's also on like <laughs> it's all about like small government and lowering government spending. But when it comes to defense, oh yeah, no, no. just spend. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, we need to spend on defense. Well, that that's we'll the budget. That was the great paradox of the. The Reagan era was and, like, yeah, and we'll, Thatcher, we'll, yeah. we'll save money by lowering everything, but they just spent it all on Yeah, the, the size of government increased yeah. <laughs> since the 1980s. Um, so it was all a big lie, um, obviously. Yeah. Um, and yeah, on, on a grand scope, it is a big lie. Um, obviously, there are kind of, I think, more particular issues where, uh, you know, government red tape or regulation is a bit more nuanced. But yeah, on a, on a big picture, trickle-down economics, uh, neoliberalism, Clearly just uh, an agenda for people with interests in power to keep serving those interests. Yeah. So Crazy. Liz Truss has had a pretty bad... Yeah, I know. Who'd have thought it, eh? Yeah. Liz yeah. Truss had a very bad start. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's so, uh, so bad. Unbelievably bad. So she she was going to legislate to get rid of the top tax bracket in the UK and she's had to go back on that policy in the first two weeks. Yeah. Um, so things are going very poor. election isn't for another... 
three years? Two, two years. I two think. years. So 2024. Okay. Yeah. Um, Do you think she'll be? <laughs> will she be there still? <laughs> I. It's hard to say now. I, I really. I wonder if the pressure will get so much if they can't really get their shit together in the next few months that people will start demanding an election. Um, they really don't want to do that because they'll get slaughtered. Because yep. Keir Starmer is looking like a... He's looking, honestly, a bit like Albanese. Yeah. So I think these parallels are so interesting because he's done small target work um, yep. and kind of made himself seem like a you know, responsible, you know, good pair of hands. Yeah. And it's, it's just a very... economic manager stuff. Yeah. It's a very appealing option compared to the chaos of their um, conservative party right now. So... Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, who knows, Rob? Who knows, though? It's a shame that Corbyn didn't win in 2018. 2019. 2019. Appetite just wasn't there, I think, you know? And he, yeah, I think he had his own issues, you know? Also against May as well. Yeah. Should have won that one. Yeah, well, that was, wasn't that, it was Boris, wasn't it? Well, the one in 2017? It was 2017, that was May. 2019 against, was Boris, I think. Against May, it? yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyways. Too many, um, can't remember. Yeah, bad luck, Corbyn. Good luck, <laughs> Keir Starmer. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Ukraine as well, Rob. Ukraine, uh, amazingly... I've gone back into Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I've gone back in since it became a bit more optimistic. Bit Obviously, more it's optimistic, a huge yeah. tragedy, but... Yeah. Uh, so, there was that massive stalemate. Not stalemate. Um, uh, just basically holding pattern that was happening yeah, after yeah. They, the Russians got booted out of Kiev. Well, I think it was a stalemate, really, wasn't it? Because they were just sitting... It, it was trench warfare vibes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, now, since you know, over the past few months... Uh, the Russian military has really fallen apart, hasn't it? Absolutely. So the Ukrainians have made uh, quick offensives and gained back some territory lost in the east. And yeah. then the Russians quickly held like sham referendums for yeah. independence. And then here's the best bit is then as soon as the referendums were held in one of the towns, I can't remember which one it was, but the... They all have Eastern U- European names. They're hard to pronounce. Yeah. The Ukrainians immediately... Fucking invaded this part of uh, Russia that was immediately, you know, recently a new Russian town and just claimed it again. So, you know, just uh, really funny stuff from the Russian government. And I think, honestly, this is, uh, that's the end of Russia, right? I, I, I'm in a similar boat. I find it hard to see how, how Putin's popularity and support internally can can really continue to survive this, right? Yeah. I find it really hard because it's just objectively a colossal failure. And the Russian military is in its worst position now than it ha- as it has been since the start of the invasion. I think, yeah, there was... A, last month in September, there was a key offensive in the northeast, I think. Mm. And the Ukraine gained like 5,000 5, square miles in like one day or something, um, which is like pretty nuts. And then now, like they're having a big offensive in the south, um, southeast. So, I, and like the Russian military has just had to withdraw on a colossal scale. And there's so many photos of just like the, the uh, equipment, like tanks, just full yeah. on tanks they've had to leave behind. Um, and they've, uh, I think the, the actual tactical, strategical side of the Russian military has really fallen apart. Absolutely. The they've had to change their goals as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they initially wanted to take all of Ukraine, get Kiev quickly and then go. But now it's like, can we just get like a, a land bridge to um, Crimea pretty much? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what will happen. I think Ukraine will continue to make advances. Uh, but I, I think personally it will reach some kind of, um, there'll be some kind of settlement um, over the next few months. You reckon? Well, the thing is, is winter is coming. 
and you know we know from history when winter happens in the east things slow down um so that's why ukraine is pushing so hard right now is because they want to make as many games before winter um and i think maybe if things quiet down over winter they'll make they'll make some kind of agreement um and you know the the parts of ukraine that were already autonomous be since 2016 in the Donbass region that mm. uh, will I think continue to be just managed by Russia those are the parts that were annexed I believe and then Ukraine will just keep not those parts interesting that's what I, my prediction is I have a slightly different prediction I think it'll just be over the winter they might just kind of pack up shop and do what they did in July and just kind of not move anywhere hang out and then I think the war won't stop because uh, Zelensky seems pretty keen at get everything he got, everything he had, and maybe even then some with Crimea. Yeah, well, that's uh, interesting. And I don't, I can't see this one ending until until Putin's ousted, really. Maybe. I, so as I, said, I think it could be as many, it could be one month to five years, really. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's very rosy-eyed of me thinking um, that it would be able to be wrapped up soon enough. Yeah. Um, obviously, but like, it's, it's not like Ukraine, even though they're making huge advances now, the country has been you know, significantly damaged by by this invasion, yeah. and you know the loss of life um, has been very significant, and the damage to the economy, obviously, any war uh, will be very significant. Um, so I just wonder how how long that kind of will will last for, mm. and if there's kind of a way to resolve the conflict which leaves Ukraine, you know, not that bad off, if they might just be willing to take yeah. that, and then you know everyone will know that it was a a, a Ukrainian victory basically yeah i also think that russia is in a similar boat this is clearly a war of attrition right uh and i feel like the russians have got more to lose now because i guess the promise that putin made to his people was that we'll get ukraine and it won't affect you in but if it's affecting people in moscow or in you know far off parts of russia i worry that they can't hold up as well because the economic sanctions are obviously hurting russia big time and yeah i just i don't know i question the russian will in this in this sense well I, and it's the thing I, i've said on this podcast so many times is you don't know what's happening internally yeah in these authoritarian um regimes so you have no idea how how solid putin's position actually is so um i i think it, yeah it could be maybe one of those things where you wake up that day and you're like, oh, Putin's been toppled. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're going to do sweeping change, like political change, and the war's over. Yeah. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, personally, I don't see really any conclusive end anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know. But anyways, um, positive news out of Ukraine, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, Opti- reasons for optimism, even though obviously it's been a terrible tragedy. So, uh, let's go back home. The last thing we talked about on this podcast five months ago was Albo winning the election. Mm. So, where's he been? What's he done? Has he lived up to the hype? I think on quite a macro view, Rob, he, uh, it's, it's, you know, they've hit the ground running and they've made a lot of progress. But if you just look at the sitting days, they're actually quite significant. Um, and the, the kind of scope of the legislation they are planning to pass and they're already passing... Um, it, it's, you know, I think they're, they're definitely trying to get work done. We talked about the climate, uh, emissions of 40% by 2030 or 2040 reduction that they're going to make. And there was push to make that a lot more ambitious. 43%. 43%. There you go. <laughs> the expert. 
Remember uh, there, was, there was push to make that a lot more ambitious because the Greens were basically saying they weren't going to vote for it if it wasn't made it more ambitious. The, green, the Greens doing Greens things. Remember Classic. 09 ETS. Yeah, we'll never forget. Um, but I think, you know, Labor, you know, probably people would say now at this point, quite rightly, just said, no, this is our election promise. This is what we're going to commit to right now. Um, let's just get, go ahead and get it passed. And yep. it's the kind of situation where something is better than nothing. And another thing is this this target, I know it's not enough if you look at science surrounding climate change. Arguably nothing is enough. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's too late. It's too late. However, it's a minimum of 43%, which I think is an important uh, distinction to make. Yeah. We will likely see 43% just from general shifts, general consumer confidence and market confidence that the government isn't going to fucking support only fossil fuel and nothing else. Uh, and if the Labor government actually does any any good legislation in this area, which in my opinion they will eventually, uh, we'll likely go over 43% by 2030, I think it is. Yeah, I, obviously, I, th- I think the actual... The actual commitments will be much larger and much sooner. But I just getting something on paper, right? It's yeah. just important, I think. So Well, it also good. kind of not entirely, but somewhat forces the coalition into a uh, into a, some climate policy if and when yeah. they ever get back in. Because the Dutton's opposition supported that, obviously. Yeah. Um so re- reneging on their um or you're know, changing their their policy since the election. Um yeah. they've also got they're leg- gonna legislate the anti corruption commission. So yeah. le- we've got the legislation. Um, it's going to hit the floor soon. Um, so that's a big election promise fulfilled quite quickly. Seems like the opposition will support it as well. Yes. From what I can gather with a few little amendments to bring the Liberal Party in. Yeah. So there's just one. I think the one key issue right now is the public hearings yeah, part of it. Yeah, the public hearings, yeah. Um, yeah. So like the, the legislation right now says in exceptional exceptional circumstances. Uh, and uh, people think some people think that's a little vague, and there won't be that many, and it needs to be uh, there needs to be a bigger scope for public um, uh, public sittings. But the coalition obviously doesn't want that, mm. um, and Labor Party just doesn't really know what to do. So I think that issue is yet to be resolved, and depending on the, how that is resolved, we might see the coalition vote against it. But well, yeah, I think either way, uh, you'll get the teals and the greens if you go for a real hard. Uh, corrupt, corruption commission, and you'll get the Liberal Party if you go for a soft one. So yeah, so I think the Labor Party will get it through regardless of what they do here. Absolutely, and I, I think yeah, I've heard someone say as well they might try and get it universally voted on in Parliament, which would be like a nice symbolic gesture. Um, yep. so that's an important election um promise that they're fulfilling this year. Um, they're also working on the Uluru statement to the heart. Um, so talking about referendum proposal proposals for that which will be interesting, I think, maybe next year. Uh, privacy laws, whistleblower laws, a lot of, lot of legal reform. Yeah. Mark Dreyfus, Attorney General, been busy man. And also, from what I can hear, a lot of change just in the public service as well, which is really important here because, you know, as much as we just see government as these big policy announcements and exciting parliament, it's really just boring bureaucrats <laughs> yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And improving what boring bureaucrats can work on, i.e. allowing them to do some work on climate change issues, is very important and will hopefully improve uh, the country's public service in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the, a big problem for them, or a big issue right now for the Labor Party, <coughs> is our good old friend, the state tree tax cuts, um, that 
La- Labor said they would commit to um, uh, as long uh, alongside the coalition uh, last election. And now, arguably, the given the current economic conditions, which I haven't really talked about in this episode. Yeah. We'll get to that next week. Uh, yeah, of course. There's always time for that. Uh, there's you know, a, a fair argument that now is not the time for tax cuts to you know the top brackets. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know what you think, Rob. I think Labour will probably... Because, you know, Dunn's already said, if Labour breaks this election promise to not legislate these tax cuts, you, you know, I'll make sure they never hear about it. The public never um, always hears about it until the day of the next election. Yeah. So I think Labour will be forced into passing this one. It's a bit of a shame, but I mean, they've, I think Chris Bowen has said they're considering what they're going to do with them. So I don't know. As maybe a final question, Rob, I'll pose that to you. Do you think this is, we're feeling, we're kind of living in a new zeitgeist to kind of, the people have more appetite for change, uh, want to see more change, genuinely feel like things in the world have changed and that we need to like respond? Um, this is an interesting one because I fear and worry that personal bias and my education has greatly skewed my perspective on the out on the world. But I feel like uh, neoliberalism uh, is getting revolted against. Yeah. In in short. Yeah. Again, it's very hard to say, but uh, I think that clearly there is a lot more knowledge now, or maybe not knowledge, but awareness that hey, it's weird that things were better 50 years ago uh, and we've seen basically just the rich get rich in the last 50 years since neoliberal reform. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to do something about corporation power in general and I think, I don't know, and I hope that uh, particularly young people can see these issues in society. Also climate change as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, a few of those issues just becoming a lot more, they're just sticking in the public. It seems like the public discussion a bit more. Well, it, it, it also seems that there's no, there's only a certain, you know, so much that people can take. Yeah. If you, if you subscribe to Marxist theory, uh, you know, eventually the workers will revolt against the proletariat. Class right? consciousness. Uh, yeah, maybe there is more class consciousness going around. Uh, you know, the, the memory of the Soviet Union is... Or is now dead with Gorbachev, uh, actually. True. Um, and maybe that is, you know, encouraging people around the world to think more about class and to think more about these um, issues of wealth inequality in some way. And now I think you're seeing, you know, given the, the very strange macroeconomic conditions globally with rising prices, Yeah, I think that the wage, uh, wage growth issue now has become a lot kind of sharper in people's yeah. minds because not only are people's wages you know, have not grown in 20, 30 years uh, in a real sense, now that's actually a lot more apparent to people when they see the price of goods and services Well, it's fallen in a nominal, nominal sense lately anyways. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and now people are just like starting to say like, hang on, <laughs> like yeah. well, what's going on? Um, so I hope so, Rob. I, I, yeah. I feel like there's a bit more of a sense of optimism. Um, but, you know, obviously everything's still not perfect. Um, obviously not. Um, we're all going to die anyways pretty soon. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all dying. I mean, as as Keynes famously said, in the long run, we're all dead. So Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Only fitting, Rob, to leave it at that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. 
at Unrepresentative Swill and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. Um, we'll, we're back. We're back. We're going to be back regular as always. Um, and we'll see you real soon. Yeah. See you next week or maybe after. <laughs>